Hello, and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each and every week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Nick, would you call us a beauty news podcast? Yeah. In fact, I like regularly call us that. I think most people would consider us that. I guess we should just, at the top of the show, talk a little bit about, like we said, biggest stories of the beauty industry each week, one of which we broke. We actually broke our first big boy story this week. Big boy story. I have the LinkedIn app on my phone because I just think LinkedIn is the funniest place in the world. It's like the most unhinged. (laughs) It's so unhinged. (laughs) It's the reason I left Facebook. It's deranged because it's like people promoting corporations that they work for as if it's personal accomplishments, number one. But also they're posting about their personal lives on this, like what is supposedly supposed to be their professional social media platform. The LinkedIn feed is just such a cesspool. (laughs) They need to fix it. It's like weird baby boomer meme culture. I hate it, but I'm on it. And it's very chuggy. Oh, (laughs) Let's get to that in a second. That's a hot take. (laughs) (laughs) So I was on there and I saw a job posting. A24 is hiring someone for a beauty position at their company. And A24 is the hottest production company. They like are behind every big indie movie. They did Uncut Gems. Hereditary. Midsummer. They did Moonlight. Minari. Minari. I mean, guys, they're huge. So this is big news. They're building out a beauty team. They've done really cool stuff in terms of merch, and they've auctioned off in the past props and things from the actual films. So this woman posted from A24 was like, oh, I'm hiring. I click on the link, and the job posting was for Rules Beauty They said it's a new A24 portfolio company focusing on the beauty space. And so I screen grab it. I post it on the Eyewitness Beauty Instagram and feeling pretty good about this little scoop that we have. Now, let's talk about how we typically like to credit our sources. We do. We always say like as reported in blah, blah, blah. However, podcasting still is seen as the little kid brother of news media. And while a screen grab of our Instagram post has been included in several large news outlets, we have not been credited. In fact, ID, who did include our screen grab in their story, didn't mention us, has been credited as the people that first, quote unquote, broke the story in other news outlets. So we just want to say... We invest a lot of time and money and energy, and we really care about the work that we're putting out there. And if you're listening to this and you are a reporter for another media outlet, listen to our whining. Listen to our whining. We're doing this because sending an email to you is just (laughs) involves a lot of work on our end. We just want the credit that we put into the universe to come back unto us. And also, I feel like we shouldn't have even revealed our secret source for good beauty information, which is LinkedIn. Listen, it's the only good beauty information I've ever gotten from LinkedIn. So, <laughs> I was thinking about our episode last week. And mm-hmm. at the very end, you just dropped in a little note about how like you're not sleeping at all. And I was thinking about it all week that I was like, that's like a really important revelation that you just sprinkled in there. Not sleeping as everyone who's listening, who has ever had sleeping problems can make you feel totally crazy and unwell. And like, I want to acknowledge it and I want to support you. And I want to say that just try to relax before you go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I can't relax and people are not crediting me. Um, No, I don't know if it's because I'm an insomniac at this point or if it's just because I'm so busy and excited, but thank you, Nick. Oftentimes, are you up in the middle of the night with Evie? 
Because sometimes yeah. you're texting me and sending me DMs and stuff pretty late. At like four o'clock in the morning. Which I like because when I wake up, it's like, oh, Nick's awake too. I feel like through COVID, I haven't been a great sleeper. If I'm being honest, it's probably due to like alcohol. If I have even <laughs> one drink, it fucks up my sleep. And yet I have one drink. I'm like, no, maybe this time like it won't do it. What I've actually been thinking about is how I'm like sober curious. <laughs> I'm like literally that business school PowerPoint <laughs> that makes people launch non-alcoholic beer or whatever. I am 37. I have a kid. Drinking is a habitual thing at the end of the day to relax. It's not negatively impacting my life, but it's certainly not positively impacting my life. Are you sure? I don't know. I think it's fun to kind of have a drink at the end of the day. No, it is. But I'm trying to get back to my birth weight and <laughs> alcohol is literally not going to help I think Evie's having that. a bad influence on your body image. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like thinking about it. I don't think I have a problem, but I'm also just thinking more and more about when you have a kid and you're trying to let you have to like be aware and up and you're mm -hmm. just living in a heightened state of anxiety. What is alcohol doing it's not chilling you out not really is that making you more funny no i'm pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> always that's true but yeah so i'm sober curious i have a friend who launched a brand in the sober curious space and it's doing very well from what i can tell and it looks very chic but i was thinking about it because i was very interested in the part that i was just like a brand that is for people who are sober curious isn't that every other beverage <laughs> Like, like ever, <laughs> like Coca Cola. <laughs> I know, and, and yeah, the thing that has up until this point not made no. sense to me is the idea that if you were sober curious, you still loved the taste of alcohol, but not the feeling. And I'm like, I feel like people suffer through the taste of it to get the feeling. <laughs> like people are not like yum. <laughs> this like yeasty, frothy thing tastes delicious. Like I guess it's refreshing because it's cold, but like I don't know. But I guess maybe now I'm like evolving to a place where I'm like, I think I'm just drinking one of these Aperol spritzes out of habit as a way to end the day. And maybe if I did do seltzer and Ooh, you know what I make almost every day? Thing. What? I take a big bottle of chilled Topo Chico, usually over ice, squeeze a lime wedge inside and bitters. Are bitters alcoholic? Uh, <laughs> after some input from our producer who chimed in in a quick Google search, apparently bitters have alcohol in them, but... <laughs> I think we're going to, it's alcohol in the same way that like vanilla like, extract. It's like a tincture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, hey, maybe I'll try very that. Refreshing. I'll report back. Maybe I'll order some of the Sober Curious options and do a taste test. Maybe try, they just launched canned beverages of their aperitif. So shout out Gia. This is not paid. I'm going to try it. No, I'm going to try it and report back. Okay. Let's get let's into top, top stories. stories. Ooh, thanks. Jinx. Well, Nick, grab your nearest non-alcoholic aperitif and let's go outside because there is a public swimming pool coming to the East River. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something you have to do on like American Ninja Warrior. It looks like it, honestly. Click the link. Do you see the rendering? Yeah. So basically Ugh. there is this project that had started all the way back in... I guess they concepted it in 2010 and really started work on it in 2013. I don't know. It's a long story, but it, this project has been in the works for a long time. It's called Plus Pool. And it's basically this idea that they're going to put 
a swimming pool. It looks like a plus sign. That looks like a plus sign floating in the East River, which is the body of water that separates Manhattan from Brooklyn and famously known for being a huge puddle of human waste. Literally, when I guess when it rains in New York, the sewer kind of floods under the East River. So interestingly enough, this curved article goes really into like the history of it. People did used to swim in the East River before we turned it into a literal cesspool. And I guess there used to be floating pools of river water that people that lived in New York used to go hang out in. And it's not just a container that holds other water. This would include like a filtration system to where it is the actual water from the East River. Oh. In, oh. In the pool. <laughs> this feels like tempting the gods. You know what I mean? To try to swim in the East River. I don't know. Anyway, so the project's moving forward after a pause from COVID. It's estimated to cost anywhere between $20 million and $25 million. It has some investment money coming in. Kanye is a huge supporter. And I guess, Nick, come on over. There's a few things that I, like, am trying to understand. Mm. One is cryptocurrency. Yeah. And, like, I asked my dad the other day to explain what the blockchain was, and we didn't get very far. The other is NFTs, which I feel like I understand. But then when I try to explain it to anyone who doesn't, they're like, you don't make any sense. <laughs> Let's just take it slow. Explain what non-fungible means. Okay. Non-fungible means that it is unique. So a non-fungible token is essentially a unique asset, meaning there are not two of them. There's only one of them. A dollar bill, for example, is fungible because there are many dollar bills in circulation. Even a Bitcoin is fungible because there are many Bitcoins in circulation. A non-fungible token is like a unique artwork, like the Mona Lisa is non-fungible. Even if someone else painted stroke for stroke a version of the Mona Lisa, it wouldn't be the same one. And so they're selling on the internet now and even through like big auction houses these artworks that are unique by digitally native artists and they're being bought by a lot of bitcoin billionaires which i'm not sure if it's sort of like a closed loop system of like money laundering like i don't really like i think there's also more going on <laughs> this is where i don't get it anyway nfts are entering the beauty industry go on we knew that Emily Ratajkowski, a friend of the pod, she wrote a, a really amazing essay in New York Magazine last year where she talked about, among other things, the fact that the artist Richard Prince used her likeness in a quote-unquote photographic painting, which was essentially a screenshot of her Instagram account with a comment that Richard Prince, the artist, made under the photograph and she bought a version of it with an ex-boyfriend and she had to buy out her ex-boyfriend's stake in the painting of her so that she could own it. And it was all about sort of reclaiming ownership of your image. So she's doing the most genius thing, which is she's taken a picture of herself in front of now the image that she owns of Richard Prince's photograph of her. And she's auctioning that image off as an NFT. She's mm -hmm. regaining control over her own image to profit off of, just like Richard Prince had profited off of her image. God, the art world is just so... They just like create drama <laughs> out of nothing. <laughs> Do you find that? Yes, but here's what I don't understand. So now they're creating fragrance NFTs. 
Well, so basically a lot of beauty entrepreneurs have translated their work onto digital platforms. Obviously, like beauty is the biggest content type on YouTube. It has very much taken over Instagram, even if you think that you are not a beauty consumer. If you check your Explore page, you're going to be hit with a million pieces of beauty content and tutorials and whatever. So these beauty creators are now creating NFTs of their work, but also it's like creating a Venn diagram into the physical products with now this fragrance company that's launching an NFT element to a fragrance that also lights up. (laughs) (laughs) They're using a technology called chromatography mass spectrometry. I don't know what that is. As a fragrance? This guy who founded a company called Look Labs, Jordan Katzarov, created a digitized version of a fragrance called Cyber Eau de Parfum. He's making 10 fragrances available in an NFT format, and each will be accompanied by a physical collector's edition of the fragrance bottle that lights up when touched. So this is interesting because obviously, I don't know if this is the future or a flash in the pan. This is according to a glossy article. One thing that my mom brought up when I was talking about NFTs with her the other day is she was like, is this dissimilar to the way in which you would buy a Saul LeWitt piece where you're buying the essentially like the right for his studio to produce the work on your property, I guess. So there's also an artist named Tara Donovan who has been shown at the Museum of Modern Art and many other places. And one of her works is this sort of undulating honeycomb-esque wall that she makes with plastic straws. They're stacked up an entire wall. Mm -hmm. And if you buy that work, it's not like they like collect all the straws from the gallery where you bought it from and like deposit the straws at your house. Mm -hmm. You essentially buy a piece of paper that says you own the opportunity to have her studio come and make it. So people have bought and sold these works based on just having the piece of paper that says that they own the opportunity. Which is not unlike buying shares in a company, which also feel very imaginary. (laughs) And you don't actually exchange any sort of physical goods along the way. Yeah. And oftentimes you're just granted the opportunity to buy the shares. Yes. (laughs) That's called an option. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on NFTs. In other news, my order from Better World Fragrance House is out for delivery today. Oh, I thought you got it. No, it hasn't come in yet. So this is Drake's Candle Company, which I feel like we've been waiting. (laughs) Between the announcement of the Candle Company and the launch of the Candle Company was probably like a good six months. On last week's episode, we reported, I had received an email from Better World Fragrances, which I forgot was Drake's Candle Company. And then after we recorded the episode last week, it came out that he had actually partnered with Uber Eats or DoorDash. Postmates. Postmates. It probably varied by location though, don't you think? Yeah. Basically, if you ordered from his favorite restaurants on the app, they would also include a candle. But I immediately, after you telling me that, went on Postmates and tried to order from one of his favorite restaurants and they didn't say anything about ordering a candle. And then I was like, it's 10 a.m. I don't really want Blue Ribbon Sushi. So I canceled the order. But you know, you also did it a day too early, right? Oh, I (laughs) I did? (laughs) Yes, I sent you the link from the article with the highlighted portion that like it started on Saturday and you (laughs) had 
I tried on Friday. Got it. Um, so anyway, here's what I know so far. I will do a live unboxing of all of the Drake candles. I bought one of each, which was expensive, but I did it for you all, to be honest. How much are they? Well, the, actually, that is a great question. They are $48. Wow. Except there is one called Carby Musk which is $80. Carby Musk? The only reason, <laughs> C-A-R-B-Y Musk. Carby. The only reason that I can... <laughs> like bready? The only reason... Sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting. <laughs> yes. The only reason that I can begin to understand why it's twice the price of everything else is because this is like the sort of brand's iconic first signature fragrance. And it says in the product description that it is developed with, quote, trail air technology which means it's made to linger in the air longer. So it just has a smellier, stinkier ingredient in it. I guess, or something. I also checked right before we started recording that 100% of the candles are still available for purchase, which to me means that they probably did a good job forecasting the number of orders or people aren't buying it because you would think that like a Drake candle, much like at the Pharrell skincare line, would sell out immediately, but... You can still buy the full line, but don't do it until you get my reactions. Are they in glass? They are. They are in glass. The candles themselves are white. The glass is blue. Going back to their forecasting, the minimums on ordering glass packaging are really high. So he probably had to order at least 20,000 units. That's a good point. Well, looking forward to this live unboxing video. Another thing launching this week with a famous musician, though, posthumously, is... Posthumously? Look, I'm a writer. I'm not a speaker, although I do have a podcast. (laughs) It's posthumously, I think. We also need a piece of music for our palette watch update, our segment, which is about just what's happening in the world of makeup palettes. And this week, there is a Urban Decay... X Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince, and they're creating an entire line. It's called Urban Decay X Prince. So it's actually Prince's estate gave their blessing for Damaris Lewis, who was Prince's muse towards the end of his life and companion for several years to collaborate with Urban Decay and create these products, including a palette, of course. There is a eyeliner. There is one that is white called Dove's Cry. There's a liquid highlighter. There is an all-night powder. There's a multitasker brush. You can buy everything, which is called the Collector's Vault, for $250. And I think what's cool is that not only did they get approval from the estate and like it's an official license, which I guess it would have to be, but they got a bunch of Prince's crew which to do the work with them. So His creative director, Trevor Guy, as you said, his muse. The photographer director, Randy St. Nicholas, was a close friend and collaborator with Prince. And he shot the video campaign and the photographs. So they're doing it in the best way possible for a pretty random collaboration. Teen Vogue is in the news again, but this time it's good news for now. They have announced a new editor-in-chief named Versha Sharma, And she is the former senior correspondent and managing editor of Now This. And she was a news writer and she's definitely like a hard news 
journalist, but she will be leading all of Team Vogue's editorial. And she obviously comes to the company after the mess of a hiring and firing of Alexi McCammond, who was revealed to have pretty publicly tweeted some pretty anti-Asian and homophobic tweets in her college years. So it's clear to me they want Teen Vogue to be sort of the really, I hate to use the word woke because I feel like it has a very negative connotation, but it's Condé Nast's most politically and socially liberal outlet at this point. I mean, the New Yorker is very liberal, but Teen Vogue will have articles about like how to prepare for anal sex, as well as articles about mayoral candidates and anti-trans legislation and all that sort of stuff. So obviously hiring someone who has the news background is a good idea. And she is a woman of color. And she's like platform agnostic, which I think is like right on for Teen Vogue, right? The generation that is engaging with Teen Vogue, you know, Gen Z, they're not going to teenvogue.com to read the articles necessarily, or at least as their first point of interaction. They're on TikTok and Snapchat and YouTube and Instagram. And so having an editor-in-chief that is really well-versed across different platforms seems like the smart move. So in less woke news, Victoria's Secret is trying as hard as it can to be relevant once again. There was an article in Business of Fashion that was titled How L Brands Brought Victoria's Secret Back from the Brink. And many people on the internet felt, excuse me, (laughs) did they? This is what happens when you screenshot a headline, okay? So I, I follow an Instagram called Shit Model Management, who famously had released the shitty men in fashion list several years ago if you'll recall i was currently dating one of them at the time (laughs) jesus Mm -hmm. that was a total imagine just starting to see someone being like he seems pretty cool and then (laughs) we go out of town this list comes out I'm, i'm of course going through it being like who do i know on this list this guy's on there with three stars by his name which means he had been reported several times horrible This is just my luck. Anyway, so they basically screen grabbed this tweet from Fashionista, who didn't even write the story to begin with, that said how Victoria's Secret bounced back. And the associated image was one of a model who is definitely new to Victoria's Secret named Jill Kortlove. Versace had her in their runway show. She's gorgeous. But the immediate criticism from ship model management posting this in order to criticize it was that she, I saw comments saying she's no larger than a size medium. This is not inclusivity. People were really up in arms about this. Then of course I went down the rabbit hole to see like what's going on here. Saw the fashionista tweet. It was basically embedded in a larger headline roundup on fashionista. They didn't even write the original story. The original story appeared in business of fashion, as you mentioned, who wrote an in-depth piece about how L brands was reporting that Victoria's Secret after everything that's been happening with the brand, the Epstein ties, the pandemic forcing them to close 250 stores because they are famously a mall brand. Another 50 store closures are planned for 2021, but they're actually, according to them, going to see an increase in sales and profitability this year for the first time in years, even before the pandemic. The very sort of like DNA of Victoria's Secret feels 
problematic and totally irrelevant to like where we are in 2021. I would imagine that the real only way forward for a brand like Victoria's Secret is to really take it down to the studs. Well, I couldn't understand in the article, they were talking about all the different ways that they've made changes to turn the brand around. And one of them was they hired a new creative director. Raul Martinez, who was previously the creative director at Condé Nast. I'm like, who is this guy? He was Anna Wintour's right hand. Exactly. Famously attached to Anna Wintour, who is now very much seen as a very problematic person in the industry. A colonial broad, to quote Andre Leontelli. A what? Colonial broad? So last year, when Anna Wintour issued an apology for hurtful and intolerant behavior at Vogue, Andre Leontelli, who was the former editor-at-large at Vogue, was on a serious XM show and he said, this is as reported in Vulture, the statement came out of the space of white privilege. I want to say one thing. Dame Anna Wintour is a colonial broad. She's a colonial dame. She's part of an environment of colonialism. She is entitled and I do not think she will ever let anything get in the way of her white privilege. Oh, shit. Wow. But anyway, so a really sort of radical way forward would not be hiring Anna Wintour's right-hand design collaborator. That's my point. And they mentioned Aerie. I think Aerie is really who's going to take most of the market share from Victoria's Secret. Which is the American Eagle brand. The whole brand has always been about inclusivity and like body positivity. And then there are these startup underwear brands popping up, but really underwear is a numbers game. We have to be honest with ourselves about women's underwear. It is basically toilet paper that you reuse, you know, like several times, but it's just our anatomy, especially not to get gross here, but like it is, it's a numbers game. You have to constantly be rebuying underwear. You do. That's the world we live in. I recommend cotton, but like a lot of these startup brands are using recycled water bottle, plastic, fabric, whatever's nylon. It's just not good for you. But there's no way that they can just be at the scale to ever take on a brand like Victoria's Secret because it is just about how healthy your margins can be as a business to be able to make a product that a consumer is not going to really be able to spend that much money on because they're buying it so frequently. Am I making sense here? Yeah, no, you are. I mean, I think it's like one of those things where basically what the analysts are saying in this Business of Fashion article is that Victoria's Secret is too big to fail. Whereas we're saying maybe because like they just need to sell underwear and people buy underwear, but literally in terms of being relevant again. One of the analysts, the quote from the Business of Fashion article was, they're not dead if they're selling five plus billion dollars of cloth, which is is what I'm saying here. It's just that says everything. They're basically selling like rolls of cloth. In brighter news. Oatly, which is the oat milk brand that you see everywhere that kind of started the oat milk trend, is valued as of May 11th at possibly over $10 billion as their IPO in the US is coming up. A who's who of celebrities and investors have basically given their stamp and their money to Oatly. In July of last year, Oatly secured $200 million in new capital from investors such as Oprah, Jay-Z, the founder of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. And in this round of financing, which an IPO is, they're raising money. Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Chase and Company, and Credit Suisse are all leading the offering. I feel like it was just yesterday when... I saw oat milk pop up on the shelf right next to macadamia, right next to 
pecan and there was always almond. I don't really like almond. It All the particles just fall to the bottom. You have to shake it. And I feel like it was just a game of chance. Which one of these new milks am I going to buy today? And oat was always the least expensive option. So that's what I did. And now here we are. Here we are. In other IPO news, Jessica Alba is a little bit potentially less wealthy than we thought last week in that the IPO of Honest Company, which was lauded and much publicized, the stock, the share price declined 13% to about $16.50, which the initial public offering price was $16. In the first day that it was on the market, the stock price rose 44%, but now it's dropping, dropping. And they're saying it's because the packaged goods that Honest Company sells, like saw like a huge spike in sales because of the pandemic. But now that what people are spending more time outside of their homes, they're not stocking up as much. I think the other thing here, which is interesting, which I've learned, and this I believe is always the case, but Jessica Alba as a co-founder of Honest cannot, like on the day of the IPO, cash out her shares. Basically, employees and co-founders of startups when they IPO have to wait a certain number of days in order for them to exercise their, to sell. Not only would it look really bad if all the employees of a company, including the founder, like sold on the first day, that would be counterproductive. Wouldn't it drive the price down of all the shares too? Right, exactly. Well, I hate to end on a bad note, but do you have any positivity to bring to the table before you get into product of the week? Kristen Cavallari is launching a skincare line. Like I said, positive. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> it's called Uncommon Beauty, and it'll be sold wherever you find Uncommon James. I saw some people were upset because her line was called Uncommon Beauty, and they were saying, oh, wow, clearly inspired by Selena Gomez, rare beauty. But apparently Kristen Cavallari... Oh, really? No, she had a brand called Uncommon right, James, right, right. which was her fashion. So Uncommon Beauty comes next. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, guess what? Clean. Mm-hmm. The three theme words that she has for the brand are clean, simple, and effective. And something tells me that it won't be particularly special. Nick. I know, but I was always team LC. So that's me. I'm trying to remember. Oh, you know who I was team always? Low. Low Bosworth, who is, by the way, I think maybe the most successful one. I would say LC. <laughs> Excuse me. Have you heard of a little brand called Love Wellness? No. Nick Axelrod, do we need to have Lil Bosworth on this podcast? You do not know what love wellness is? Is that the one that's like vagina things? It's more than vagina things, Nick. It is much more than vagina things. It is multivitamins, supplements, and boric acid suppositories. So yes, vagina things. And let me tell you, everybody loves them. And they've done very well. And this is Lil Bosworth's company. And she doesn't really hang her, she doesn't hang the whole brand on the fact that she was on the OC either. I think she really cares about yeah. pills. No, I, I actually think she has done cool things. But to say that she was the most successful person to come out of it, I refer you and all of our readers to the bastion of hard news, which is celebritynetworth.com. And Lauren Conrad is worth a $40 million sump of sump, <laughs> sum of money. And Lo Bosworth is worth just $3 million. I don't believe it. And Kristen Cavallari is worth about 30 I don't believe it. I'm sorry. 
There's no way. Probably because Lo is investing it all back into her business. And I bet Celebrity Net Worth was just like you and didn't realize that Love Wellness is low. Guess how much Heidi and Spencer are worth? 300000 Well, You know what? Hey, that's more than some people here. Yeah, that's more okay, than me. So. Good point. That's all of our stories for the week. You know what money can buy you? Happiness. You know what it can buy you? Product of the week. I love that. Let's do it. So my product of the week has been a long time coming. I love bathrobes. I'm actually wearing one right now. I'll spend hours when I don't have to work or when I'm doing the podcast wearing a bathrobe. But I've been looking for one that is both cozy and kind of stylish. And I've never been able to find it. I've tried many. I've asked people on Instagram. They've referred me to all these like fancy like frette brands. But those are like those really thin hotel bathrobes, which I don't like. I want like a plush Terry bathrobe in a chic pattern. Well, I found it, you guys. There is a brand out of Denmark, of course, called Tekla, T-E-K-L-A. And they make towels, bedding, pajamas, blankets, and bathrobes. And what I love about these bathrobes, you know how most bathrobes feel like oversized clothing? They're just like these like big, basically like wearable blankets. These are actually kind of like slimmer cut. So there's not a ton of fabric when you close it, but just enough to cover yourself. Do a twirl. Let me see. I don't want you to, I don't want you to see anything. Nick's standing. He's turning side to side. I got to be honest. It looks like a normal bathroom. (laughs) Well, I love it. It's oversized in all the right places, but the armholes are long. It's a baby blue with a white pinstripe, which I find very. It does look, it's beautiful. It's a great color. It's really pretty and it feels really nice and it's a really pretty color and it's $205, but this is something that I'll wear forever. I am obsessed with it. There also, you can get one in black with a white pinstripe, which is also really chic. I just love bathrobes and I think that everyone should have one. They also have really amazing striped pajamas, which I don't wear because pajamas are uncomfortable. And I love it. You can buy them on teclafabrics.com, T-E-K-L-A fabrics.com. And they're amazing. Thank you, Nick. I feel so cozy and great in them. Nick, what do you think this is? Something by Marc Jacobs Beauty. It looks like an AirPod case dipped half in silver liquid. Okay, this is actually... It's by Dove. This is a Dove refillable deodorant. And... It is made of stainless steel. The bottom half is polished silver stainless steel. The top half is matte coated stainless steel. It's been painted and it has a little knockout silver dove. No crazy branding here. And this is their 0% aluminum refillable deodorant system. And it is $18.29 at target.com. It smells... It's pretty chic. It's very chic, I have to say. I was really impressed. Yeah, it basically looks like an oversized AirPod container, and it's super cute. What can I say? I I think next time I'll probably, if they have a different scent, I'll get it because it's very fragranced. But it's so cute, and I love that chic, sustainable packaging has entered into a pretty attainable, mass-produced brand. But it still has... It's not like aluminum free. It's like a normal Dove deodorant and antiperspirant, but in a refillable container. There's no aluminum, 0% aluminum. Oh, wow. And it's antiperspirant? 
It's deodorant. It's not antiperspirant. Got it. It's for sensitive skin, quarter moisturizers, Dove, alcohol and aluminum free, deodorant formula, dermatologically tested, hypoallergenic, 48 hour protection against odor. You'll still probably sweat because there's no aluminum in it, but yeah, that's that. Oh, it does come in different scents. Good for them. Let's see. This one is cucumber and green tea. Maybe that's what I'll get next time. They also have what looks like a lavender. Oh, coconut and pink jasmine. Okay. This one actually has like very good reviews. And the refills are $12.19, but you get two. So it's actually nets out to a little bit over $6 for a little refill stick. Go Dove. Good work. Good work. Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest? Let's just say this. Next week, we won't have an episode on Saturday morning. However, we will have... We might have one before then. You might have one before then. And we might be making a very, 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 very special announcement that I can't wait to talk about and that I've been working on for several years of my life now. So tune in next week. And I can't wait to... Talk to you about it and talk to you about it too, Nick, because you don't really... I know. I don't know anything about it. A little it sounds bit. sounds crazy, but I, but really, you actually, I know a little bit. I think people would probably think you know more than you do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything. Eyewitness Beauty is produced, of course, by Jessamyn Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant, and our album art is by Simon Abronowitz. You can follow us on Instagram for all the latest scoops. At Eyewitness Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) You can email us as well. Hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Or you can reach us individually at our first names, Annie at eyewitnessbeauty.com or Nick at eyewitnessbeauty.com. What else, Nick? What am I forgetting? We love you and we appreciate you. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Every single review, every single rating means a lot. We read them. We take them to heart. Well, some more than others. Come on. <laughs> some more than others. But we are, we're listening and we're learning and we appreciate you. And five stars for five stars, as I used to say to every Uber and Lyft driver that I would <laughs> get out of. 